Cheers. Th thank you very much for that. Um, and welcome to um, Spy Valley um, in the afternoon, what I'd like to call social session uh, of the book fest. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to thank um, Renaissance and Spy just in regards to having a grain and grape session um, at the end <laughs> of the day. Um, so thank you very much. And also thank you very much for the uh, Melbourne Book Festival team who have put on a great, great uh, weekend yet again. Um, we'll probably run for about 40 minutes and then there'll be a session, about 15 minute session for questions afterwards. If you vehemently want to ask a question, just just yell at me and sing out, or come and come up and sit at, sit with Alice in the couch. Yeah, yeah, it's lonely up here. Um, <laughs> and, th and there will be an opportunity for some book signing for about half an hour after that, from five to five thirty. So, um, welcome, Alice. Thank you. Um, and we're going to hear about her and her musings um, about her book, How to Have a Beer. But probably <laughs> I'll I'll just have a quick preamble about Alice herself. Um, probably grew up in Wellington, but has been living in Auckland for the last seven years with a boyfriend named Thomas and a cat named B. <laughs> this has had a name change. It used to be called Izzy, apparently. Uh, living in Ponsby Road um, and spend all their money on beer and eating out. <laughs> so there's nothing there for mortgages, although no. I wouldn't <laughs> go there, to be honest. Certainly not in Ponsby. No. So she has, um, Alice has degrees in English and journalism from Otago and AUT, respectively. And then from out in the real world, has um, been doing some edi editorial stuff, assistant editor at AA Directions for three years, deputy editor at Dish for a year, and then got in and worked at Beer Brothers, which is a Mount Eden brewery, um, doing all sorts of stuff from, uh, I suppose, on the floor to at behind the bar. Mm. Um, now freelance, you'll probably see Alice a bit in the Cura magazine, where she's got the monthly uh, beer blog. And is also starting to write regular travel um, travel columns as well, com combining that with beer and food, which she terms the holy trifecta. <laughs> uh, not what I'd, I would prefer, rugby racing and beer. <laughs> um, but cheers, Alison, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me here. And here <laughs> in Marlborough, so it's good. Um, I thought we'd start with just um, from your degrees or your studies, how did you actually get into the into the beer side of writing? Um, yeah, so I started, I guess, the moment when I became, I mean, I kind of, like a lot of people here, grew up, grow up drinking beer, not since I was a baby, but, you know, I, d I drank beer um, in high school and stuff, but it never was anything that interested me very much. I drank, you know, I'd show up to a party with a box of tui and drink probably four of them and throw them up again. Um, <laughs> But the p at the point when I became really excited about beer was probably before I did my journalism degree, I was looking out for stories to write for, a I needed a portfolio to apply with. Um, and a friend at work said, oh, you should write a story about my cousin who's starting a brewery. And I was like, sure, okay, I don't know anything about breweries, but that could be a good story. Um, and so I went and met this guy at the Malt House in Wellington, and I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but that's a really great craft beer bar there, and one of the first big craft beer bars in Wellington. Um, and I met this guy, and his name was Stu McKinley, and he is the head brewer for the Yeasty Boys, um, another great, great Wellington yeah. brewery, um, and they were about to launch their first beer, Pot Kettle Black. And so I met this guy, and we sat at the Malt House for probably like at least two hours, 
and he bought these he bought this big Belgian big bottle of Belgian beer and some others which I can't remember. But we kind of sat there for an hour and he told me everything basically that he knew about beer in that time and kind of just blew my mind by telling me about all these styles that I never could have imagined existed, like smoky beer from Bamberg in Germany and all these sorts of crazy Belgian beers and stuff that, yeah, just, just blew my mind. And I think the, the interview was a total disaster. Like, I, I got drunk, I forgot to make any notes, and I didn't turn my, <laughs> I didn't turn my dictaphone on. Um, so I had to go back and, like, email him the next day and ask him all my questions again. But from that, you know, I became quite excited about beer, and I went to my first Beervana um, a couple of weeks later and was... Yeah, really, really excited about it from that point on, about what was going on in the New Zealand beer scene, which I'd had no idea about at all before then. H how so long ago was it? Uh, like 2008. Just when it was starting to... to yeah, to just when it was just starting to, to grow quite quickly. Yeah. yeah. There were probably about 50 breweries in New Zealand then, or less, maybe yeah. 40. Now there's like 190 or something at last count, but you can't keep up with them. Yeah, yeah. you're right there. Just one quick thing, the title of this, our session is um, The Beer Geek and the Winemaker. Uh, interesting topic, really. Um, I want to know why you're the beer geek and I'm not a wine geek maker. Um, yeah. Is there, a, in the beer place or Nirvana, is there room for geeks, snobs and drunks? And what is I what's guess so, what's yeah. It's, yeah, it's difference? interesting that people don't, people don't say wine geeks. People say, I shouldn't... I wine wankers. Well, yeah, <laughs> wine wankers and wine snobs. There's beer geeks and wine snobs. <laughs> Sorry to say, but I think I don't know why beer geek. I think I like I kind of uh, associate the word geek with um, maybe people who are really passionate uh, passionate about it, sort of a certain subculture. And I think beer is not really a. Well, I wouldn't call it a subculture now. It's becoming craft beer is becoming mainstream, but. About ten years ago, it was quite a subculture to yeah. uh, to be into beer, and so kind of everyone who was into it is is a beer was a beer geek. Now, like I kind of think of as a beer geek as someone who, um, you know, compared to just a beer drinker, as someone who sees beer as a hobby, not just something that they drink. So you know, they're online all the time reading articles about beer, and they're on their untapped app, which is like this app where you log different beers that you drink. Um, they're the kind of people who might queue up for. Um, three hours, you know, at the crack of, not the crack of dawn, nobody, beer drinkers don't get up that early, but you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> like, people, yeah, people who take it to that kind of next level. And I don't know, and wine, I, I feel like this could change because of the new kind of stuff that's happening in wine with natural wines and orange wines and stuff. I feel like that could spawn a bit of a, there could be kind of wine geeks, hipster wine geeks, maybe kind of coming from that. Hipster train spotters. Yeah, yeah, but... Um, sorry, what was the question? Is there room? <laughs> no, that's a great answer. Yeah, but, but yeah, beer, then there's wine, beer, beer snobs as well, which is another thing. And, and I guess beer snobs are people who maybe um, have very set ideas about what they will and won't drink and maybe will look down on other people for drinking crappy beer. And I think no beer geek wants to think of themselves as a beer snob, but there's definitely a little bit of beer snob in every beer geek, for sure. There's not, they're not clear-cut separate things. And yeah. the drunks? The drunks, that's all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the collective genus. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. So actually, so why we're here really is the, and the whole premise is, is um, Alice's um, book. But really that uh, probably came about through um, 
this blog that she did in, in 2011 uh, called Beer for a Year, um, where she uh, drank her way through 365 beers, one beer a day. Uh, can you explain this madness? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know that I can. I and, and what you found on the way? Yeah. I often look back at that and I'm like, what was I thinking and how did I manage to keep that up? But... Um, yeah, so I, at the time I was just not looking to become a beer geek or a beer expert or anything. I was just looking for a topic to write about every day because I wanted to practice. I'm a very slow writer and I wanted to just get into the habit of writing something, publishing it every day and not being too precious about it. And I wanted a subject. And then for ages I was thinking about writing about offal. Um, for some reason, like, I just thought there wasn't enough uh, kind of awful information out there, and so I was going to cook something different every day, but, uh, yeah, I'd, I wasn't that keen on that idea. And then I had this idea of doing beer when I was at the supermarket one day and just noticed that there was this, the, sh the shelf space for beer had become really, really big, and there were all, you know, 200 different beers at this one New World supermarket. Um, and so, I, yeah, I had this idea, and I started drinking a beer every day, and I was very particular with the rules. Like, I wouldn't drink two beers one day and then not have one the next day. Like, even if I'd had ten beers one day, I had to, had to keep drinking them every day um, and would write up a blog post. And then through that, I kind of, I guess I would be taking notes on the beer and looking up information about the brewery and just looking, looking for things to write about. And through that, um, learnt quite a bit about beer because I wasn't just drinking it, I was having to pay attention to what I was drinking. Um, yeah, and of that blog, I, I think probably about 250 of the beers that I did were from New Zealand, and that was 2011, so that was, at that time, that was almost like every beer that was available in New Zealand to buy, and then the rest were kind of imported ones. Um, were they from, yeah. um, from what we call mainstream to... Uh, popular craft to craft? Yeah, it was right across full, the board. full spectrum, yeah, because I couldn't, sometimes I wouldn't have a choice really about what I'd drink. Like one time I was stranded on Kapiti Island and was freaking out because I thought there was no beer on Kapiti <laughs> Island but, and I was really, really worried about not being able to, um, to do, do my blog but one of the chefs in the kitchen there had some tui which he offered me and it was like the best beer I'd ever had was this tui because I was so grateful to have it. Um, so yeah, I drank lots of craft beer, obviously, because that's most of what was available, but I would have drunk all of the lagers and kind of mainstream yeah. beers as well, yeah. W where did you get these beers from, or how did you, did you steal them? <laughs> yes. Shoplift yeah. or... Um, <laughs> yeah, lots of shoplifting. Um, I got most of them from my, my supermarket sold a lot. I went online. Um, I, some people sent me their homebrew, which was really, really nice. Like some... I had I'd, my the blog didn't have a huge following. Like it had a very like all the beer geeks in New Zealand pretty much read it, which was nice. Which was not you know a huge amount of people, but they were very um, supportive, and a lot of them did send me their homebrew, which was really really nice, but also really awful to write about. I mean, you just say nice things. You would just you just be very generous about people's homebrew, no matter what it tastes like. But they were really cute. They would often have um, homemade labels on them and stuff. So yeah, I got, got them from all, all over, but it was never a problem really to find enough beer, even at that time. And but now there would be five times at least as much beer available in New Zealand as there was then. So it's yeah, it's grown massively. And over those sort of last ten years, you know, 
do you, do you find that we've gone from bland to sublime, or we've always had really good little um, jewels um, um, tucked away, with people working away hard at making great beer, or you think because of the craft piece it's really sort of rolled and, and oh, you know, beer yeah. quality's gone up? Oh, undoubtedly, like there's by far m more good beer in New Zealand now than we've ever had before. Um, I think there has been good beer available in New Zealand um, since, I don't know, a at least the 90s. There have been a few f um, craft brewers around, you know, like Emerson's um, and Muscle Inn have been making yeah. um, some great beer since I think their Captain Cooker came out in like the early 90s or something. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a few breweries that have been making good beer, but it's just exploded so much. Like I said, I think it was in 2011, there were something like 50 breweries and now there are 190. And not all of those breweries are making great beer because mm. a lot of them are, a lot of them are new and a lot of them, I don't, yeah. Um, but, but a lot of them are um, making excellent beer. So there's no question that the amount of great beer has, yeah, is going up and up and up, yeah. In your book, you talked of uh, mindfulness, <laughs> which is sort of a bit about what you're talking about with the, you know the beers and um, whether you're a snob or a geek. Can you sort of explain what you mean by what the concept of mindfulness yeah, is for you when you're looking I at your saying, beers? I was saying I like I, in the book. I, I don't really like that word mindfulness because it reminds me of like you know those adult coloring in books. That I, I don't know if that's been a trend in Blenheim, but <laughs> You've got no um, TV here, so yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like so. It's all about. <laughs> about just like switching off and being in the being in the present but that's a I mean if you want to I think if you want to learn about beer and really kind of appreciate what you're tasting that's a good thing to do is to just you obviously wouldn't want to do this with every beer most of the beers you drink you're with your other people in a pub and beer is kind of a background thing like music but it's nice every so often to stop and just kind of have a beer to yourself um, and really concentrate on it and think about, you know, what does it look like and what does it smell like and what does it taste like and you d I, don't, I think you don't have to get caught up with um, naming hops or even particular, um, you know, this is passion fruit or this is mango or whatever. You, you know, you might think this beer kind of reminds me of something like, um, like bread that my grandma used to bake or something, you know, it's funny the kind of memories that can be pulled out when you're tasting beer. But yeah, I don't think you need to get too caught up um, with picking out particular flavours. The main thing is just to try and decide if you like it. And if you do, why do you like it? Um, mm. And then, yeah. I think that's um, pretty important. If you like it, drink it. Yeah. <laughs> um, some like it more than others. Um, <laughs> j just on that, because you've got a whole lot of bunch of probably predominantly winos here that are probably used to grapefruit, yeah. passion fruit and guava. Yeah. Or gooseberry. <laughs> um, how do you actually quickly, I know you don't, didn't want to do this, but how do you actually physically do this? Like drink, drink a beer. Drink a beer? Well, it's pretty like complicated. You know, I don't know if you guys are going to get it straight away. Because we would you know, be doing this. Oh, you mean like, yeah, so for judging like a beer? We'll yeah, well, how would you? It's actually Just when you look at it, yeah. Exactly the same. Like, first thing that you always do is hold it up to the light. You do this with wine? You yeah. look at it? Looking at the beer is really important. <laughs> I say in my book, like this step, 
this is a little rude, but it's like looking at your naked partner before sex. It's you have to sort of admire them, and um, it sort of builds anticipation <laughs> for what's to come. Well, <laughs> and I thought you were going to say close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry. So Sorry, keep going. <laughs> so this so so that's just a respectful step, I right. feel. Just <laughs> um I'll write that, I'll write that Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, and you're kind of looking at things like clarity. It's quite clarity is quite a difficult thing to get in beer, so it's if it's if it's really nice and clear like this one is, it's probably been brewed well. I mean it, the colour can tell you a bit about the taste. And then we, we do the swirl as well. Same thing, just releasing the aromas and then bit of a bit of a, s a sniff. It's basically the same at that point um, as as drinking wine. The big difference is that we don't spit it out. <laughs> yeah. And it's so and you just you couldn't because you have to talk about the aftertaste. Right. Yeah. So that's not really a thing in wine, you don't Well we spit, we don't swallow, so yeah. When we're judging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What did I did I say? We yeah, yeah. Well, we don't. Yeah, we'll we'll throw it out into a jug. Yeah. So you don't swallow it. No. Yeah, but so you don't talk about the aftertaste. Not necessarily. No. Yeah. So how how far back is this aftertaste you talk of? How far back? Yeah. So like is it the phenolics the and all the grip and all that type of thing? Or sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really use words like grip. I don't think. In grip. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and sometimes, like, if it's not so well brutal, if it's really alcohol, you can kind of feel it burning down yeah, your okay. throat, like marks off of that. Yep. Sure. Yeah. So alcohol balance and all that sort of. Yeah. Nice. Stuff. Yeah, but it does yeah. present some challenges when you're judging um, sixty beers in a day. <laughs> you're not allowed to spit any of them out. Yeah. Because uh, also you notice a lot of them are quite alcoholic. So this one here, I've been poured. It's about seven percent. So obviously yeah. sixty-seven percenters go pretty well. Yeah, you start off, you start off with the lighter beers generally in the day and get stronger and stronger. And by the end of the afternoon, when you're judging like the double IPAs and barrel-aged Russian Imperial stouts and stuff, or the ten percenters, that's when people start falling um, <laughs> under the table. <laughs> it's certainly, yeah, I find it quite challenging not being as as big as some of the brewers who are. Judging as well, yeah. So <laughs> sort of, yeah. D yeah. When you so you you're sitting or standing? Are you sitting? What? Sitting. Do we, oh, do you judge wine standing up? Yeah. It's so fascinating. Mm. Why? <laughs> um, no, beer people are lazier, I think. So si well, so <laughs> they don't so they don't fall over, make a huge noise. You think? Yeah, exactly. They just propped up on a s stool. Yeah, yeah. No, and so. And with beer judging, yeah, you always have to have, I don't know if it's the same with wine, but you always have to have like five different people arguing over each beer because everyone tastes things differently. And some people will be really certain to, um, sensitive to certain faults in beers and other people won't pick them up at all. Yep. Um, and they just enjoy that process of arguing with each other about it as well. So there's always like five different people who, who will decide whether a beer gets a medal. Yep. Is that the same in wine yeah, judging? Is, yeah. yeah. Yep. So sort of what we were saying earlier was a subjective, objective mm. consensus. Yeah. So, yes, it's a very it's very hard PC, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The idea is to be object as objective as possible, obviously, and just score things against a whole set of 
criteria, but in the end of the day, it's impossible not to be really subjective, mm. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. Particularly at the end of the day when you're hard pressed. Yeah. On the yeah. double APAs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, you, you pro obviously came across some pretty, pretty cool, fascinating mm. beers or brews. Um, can you just sort of tell us about a few of them or ha why they're fascinating or the holy grails? Or um, I think you might have a reading there just in regards to one of them you either oh discovered or... Oh, yeah, I can do that <laughs> in a minute. Yeah. 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 But, they w I mean, the the f all through the blog, I mean, I was coming across beers, so many beers that I found so fascinating to me. Like, I remember the first sour beer that I'd ever had was like, whoa. Like, I'd, it was a um, Belgian sour beer, a really, really sour one. Um, and I had no idea that beer could taste like that. So um, what's, all what's a sour beer? What's what is a sour beer? What's the apart oh. from being sour? Oh, what, what so is it? Yeah, what's it? What is it? Um, so uh, sou sour beers are like fermented with um, a bit of like they've usually got some wild yeast in them and some lactic acid, which yeah creates that acidity. Yeah. Um, and so the wild yeast often kind of gives them a very funky taste, which some of the orange wines and natural wines now have as well, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's varying degrees of sourness and different methods for making a sour beer. But um, yeah, the first one I had was a, one of these very, very full-on ones. Um, but all through that, yeah, all through that process, everything was very new to me. And if you go back and look at my blog, don't look at my blog. It's kind of embarrassing now, but um, <laughs> it's, it's full of exclamation marks and lots of swear words, and lots of excitement because I was having these crazy beer discoveries um, all the way through it. But yeah, I could, shall I do? You go on, I, I think so. Could I do a reading? Yeah. Okay, cool. So this is just a little part of a chapter about when I was in the States looking for this really exciting beer. Um, <coughs> in January 2012, when I was halfway through my year of beer, my boyfriend and I spent a few days in Los Angeles on our way home from a holiday in Mexico. I'd arrived in the city with a very specific goal, and unlike the previous two times I visited LA, it wasn't to meet Mickey Mouse. Beer, beautiful, bountiful Californian beer, that's what I'd come to experience. With more than 500 craft breweries, among them legends like Stone, Anchor, Sierra Nevada and Lagunitas, for beer lovers, California practically is Disneyland. Naturally, I wanted to try as many different examples as I could safely fit into, into the three days, but there was one in particular I was seeking above all others. I had heard its name mentioned many times back home, usually in hushed reverential, whisp reverential whispers at beer geek gatherings. Apparently, the odd bottle had even been smuggled back to New Zealand, but everyone agreed it was best consumed fresh. Pliny the Elder, named after the Roman naturalist who first gave a scientific names to hops, is a double India pale ale by the Russian River Brewing Company. It sits at the top of many best of ranking lists and is praised for walking the perfect tightrope between bitter hops and sweet malt. On beer ratings website ratebeer.com, it has a perfect score of 100 out of 100, and the American Homebrewers Association have voted it best beer in America for eight years running. Naturally, Pliny is hard to get a hold of. Russian River brews it in small quantities, and this, coupled with the incredible hype around the beer, ensures retailers usually sell out within a few hours of getting a shipment. I've even heard of an insufferable-sounding tribe known as Pliny Hunters, who will call around liquor stores every other day, going from place to place and buying up as much of it as they can. 
Now, I knew I never wanted to become quite that obsessive, but I was determined to taste Pliny the Elder at least once. On our first night in LA, a web search for Pliny led us to the Blue Palms Brew House on Hollywood Boulevard. When we arrived, two big screens were displaying a list of 24 beers on tap, but to my dismay, none of them was Pliny. It'll be on later, the bartender told me in the weary voice of someone who'd been shooing away Pliny hunters all evening. You want something else while you wait? I ordered an IPA from San Diego's Stone Brewing Co. It was sublime. I made enthusiastic tasting notes on my phone and alerted the Twitterverse to its greatness. Next came a Russian river consecration, a sour ale aged in oak barrels with, barrels with currants. This time I gave up on the notes altogether and simply tweeted a photo of the bottle with a thumbs up. Finally, the bartender disappeared out the back and something flickered on the electronic screen above my head. I looked up and grinned. Pliny was in the house. Beer lovers will often talk about having beer epiphanies, those eureka moments when you realise beer can do things you never thought possible. Beer can be sour. Beer can be smoky. Beer can taste like funky old gym socks. That first sip is the one you will remember forever, able to be recalled at any moment as easily as Coca-Cola or apple juice. Now, I had expected my first sip of Pliny Elder to be one of those moments. I wish I could say it was. Instead, it brought on another kind of epiphany altogether, the realisation that I was staggeringly, breathtakingly drunk. <laughs> no sooner had the beer hit my tongue than the room started to forward roll, my mouth filling with saliva in a way that can only mean one thing. <laughs> I clambered off my bar stool and lunged towards the ladies, reaching it just as my first sip of the best beer in America made its unceremonious evacuation. <laughs> so, <laughs> before the record, I went back the next day. <laughs> I got in a taxi, went back to the Blue Palms Brew House and tried it. And it's an amazing beer. It's incredible. But the kind of the point of that story, not just to talk, I mean, yeah, w was just that you can put all this effort into trying to find the most amazing beers in the world, the ones that are ranked top of different websites or that are brewed by monks and are really, really hard to get hold of. But I think as important as what's in the bottle is kind of the setting, where you are and who you're having the beer with, um, what sort of mood you're in, all that is really, really important. And if you're, yeah, I mean, if, if you're at a bar and you've just had two big 10% beers um, beforehand, that's not a great time to try, try, try the, be the best beer in America. <laughs> setting is key, yeah. <laughs> um, have you had any of those epiphanies though? Beer epiphanies? Yeah, with your setting, you know, as opposed to setting and beer and company. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, for me, I think my favourite beer, and I've never told anyone what my favourite beer is before. You guys are the first to know. <laughs> Scoop. <laughs> um, is probably um, a beer that you can't get here, unfortunately. Um, it's called Bob's Bitter, which is and from, from a brewery called Galbraith's Brewery in um, Gal Galbraith's Ale House up in Auckland. And they do lots of English-style ales that they're um, on hand pull. Um, yeah, so and my favourite beer there is, is Bob's Butter Bitter, which is just a really nice English-style ale with kind of subtle fruity hops and a nice cushiony malt. And it's a beautiful beer, but I think why I love that beer so much is that every time I have that beer, I'm at Galbraith's Ale House, which is a really nice pub, and I'm there, and I'm relaxed, and I'm with my friends. I've, you know, I've never had a bad Bob's Bitter. 
because I'm always at the pub, you know. <laughs> so Dead Bob's better. No, and it's a, it is a really beautiful beer. So next time you're up in Auckland, come to Galbraith's Ale House and try all the beers. Yeah. They've been around for a while too, haven't they, Galbraith? Yeah. A long time. Like, I can't remember exactly when they opened, but I remember I tried one of their beers once that was like 17 years old when I w- back when I was doing the vlog. So yeah. probably 30 years, at least 20 years. Yeah. yeah. More. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of old, um, we might flip to historical old. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll start by, and probably, you know, probably home brews or experimental and stuff like that, but I'll start this little session off with take 10 gallons of ale in a large cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, That's... Um, there's some seriously weird... Well, has been some weird beers out there that are... That are, are they coming back or... Yeah. Um, people are hunting for them and really trying to out-cock each other, perhaps? Out-cock each other. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's a... One of the things I've talked about in one chapter of my book is how this. It seems like there's so much weird beer out there at the moment. Like brewers are throwing beard yeast and all kinds of fruit and herbs and coffee and tea and nothing is off limits really when it comes to what people will put in beer. And it seems really like a a new phenomenon, you know, because 10 years ago these kind of beers didn't exist. But then when you remember that people have been brewing beer for, you know, 10,000 years... um, it used to be the norm just to put any old kind of weird ingredient in there. I mean, hops have really only been used for the last thousand years um, in Germany and 500 years for the rest of the world. And before that, people were, you know, using concoctions of um, called, called Groot, different different herbs and stuff. Um, but there were some particularly weird ones, <laughs> weirder than that. And one of them was this beer that I came across called um, Cock Ale. And that was brewed with a whole <coughs> rooster in it. <laughs> yeah, it was like not a what you were thinking. No, <laughs> um, I was gonna. I have the recipe for it somewhere here, but um, yeah, that beer was like a nineteenth century, or I can't remember now. It may have even been earlier. Um, beer, and I think the idea. I mean, beer back in the day, people used to drink it for nutrition, um, and because kind of water supplies were quite dodgy, beer was like a healthy thing to drink. And there was an idea that I think I guess if you put a cock in a beer, um, that it will be it'll be better for you. And I think it was supposed to be good for virility as well. Um, yeah, I could read this thing here, but it's okay. You you get the idea. Basically, you put a whole rooster and you you smack you flay cock, flay him, stamp him in a stone mortar until his bones are broken. It's kind of quite yeah, <laughs> it's a bit gruesome. <laughs> yeah, the cock is dead before you do any of this. But yeah. So I was really fascinated by <laughs> by this beer <laughs> and decided that I needed to taste it. And weirdly, no craft brewer was making it. It must be the only historical beer style that I've never heard of any craft brewer attempting and I couldn't find any online or anything. So I was like, if I want to try this thing, I have to make it myself. Um, <laughs> so I have to get out there, catch my cock. And <laughs> um, no, but me and me and my dad brewed this beer, and we we just did it with like a chicken from Countdown or whatever. <laughs> 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 we didn't stamp his bones and flay him. Um, and I think we soaked it overnight in some wine um, and s- with some raisins and stuff to try and make it taste better. Yeah, and then home brewed this beer. And you know, I don't think anyone else in the family would try it. They were so disgusted, and I don't I don't know if anyone else tried it other than me and my dad. But it really. 
wasn't that bad. The chicken kind of didn't fully dissolve, but it kind of <laughs> dissolved in the beer. Um, and it was a bit cloudy, and it, it wasn't great. But also the thing is that neither, like me and my dad, we didn't know how to brew a lager or a pale ale or, a, you know, anything, let alone a cock ale. Yeah. When you're, when you're starting out with home brewing, you shouldn't start with cock ale. Like, learn, <laughs> for God's sake, learn to brew a, a lager first. Um, so it, w it wasn't great. But I do know now, actually, that there is potential in cock ale because when I launched my book last year um, in October, Garage Project, of course, those heroes, brewed a cock ale for me for the launch. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, they brewed one specially and they made a little video of it and put it online. It was really cool. And that one actually tasted great, really good. Unfortunately, there were a few vegetarians at the book launch <laughs> <and> who didn't <laughs> know. They were kind of like spitting it out when I <laughs> mentioned it in my speech. But um, yeah, that the cocktail was great. And there's been all sorts of kind of historical beer styles that have been brought back like that recently, yeah, yeah. which is quite successful. Mm. A lot of the New Zealand brewers are actually doing journeying, aren't they, over in researching and looking for historical res recipes as well. Yeah, well, it's and it's so easy now. You just have to jump online. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and there are things like um, like oyster stout. You know, yeah. oyster stout before, but that's something which seemed to me very weird before I'd had one, like a cocktail. But now it's quite a normal, you know, the three boys Good. oyster stout yeah. is beautiful. It's probably my favourite stout. Um, and yeah, you've got an Emerson's do a clam stout. I think you know yeah. it's very normal to, yeah, to pl to play around with these things. And now we're at a time where it is so easy for brewers just to draw from all these different influences in any time in history and make something. So, yeah, we're very lucky as drinkers now to be able to, tr if we want to seek it out, really try every style of beer that's, um, yeah. yeah, ever been ever been invented. And yeah. that, j just from a historical thing too, because um, that didn't happen in Germany though, really, did it? All the h experimenting around different ingredients because no. of that purity yeah. order. So yeah, just... So um, in Germany, there is this thing called the Reinheitsgebot. Um, that's exactly how you say it, but um, it's called the German beer, beer purity law, basically, which came, came in in the 16th century, which basically stipulated that the only ingredients that you were allowed to use in your beer were water, malt, hops, and yeast. Well, originally, they didn't even know yeast existed, so it was just water, malt, and hops, um, and the yeast found their way in there anyway, but... Um, yeah, so that kind of probably really improved German beer at the time um, because you didn't have unscrupulous brewers throwing other weird things in there to try and kind of bulk it up cheaply, which is supposedly w what was happening. Um, and, you know, I think Germany has that tradition of brewing very clean, um, really good, you know, German pilsners, lagers, um, probably because of that. But it has sort of hampered them in some ways because meanwhile, you know, over the border Bel in Belgium, those brewers were kind of throwing whatever they wanted into their kettles and coming up with all these really exciting inventive styles. Um, was in Germany, they're just brewing really great Pilsner. Um, and now I think there isn't much of a, you know, even though there's such a strong brewing tradition in Germany, there isn't that creative craft beer scene that we have, you know, here in the States. Um, yeah, well, we don't we don't have that kind of tradition. Regulation. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's a funny law because it still kind of exists now. It, you know, it's so old, but it's 
you still, I think in Germany, if you're going to put other ingredients in your beer, you, you can do it, but you can't call it beer. And there are certain loopholes for certain historical styles like Ghost, which has salt and coriander in it. But it's still weirdly strict. And they're quite proud of it, the Reinheitsgebot as well. Like if you look on a, bo a, a, a box of Becks or something, you know, they'll be like brewed according to the German purity law. Um, they see that as kind of a, an advantage. <laughs> it's like, great, so it's got the main ingredients of beer in it. Yeah, yeah. like like yeah. most beer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> one quick question. Um, all these ingredients that you're talking of that aren't part of those three or four that are the form the basis of brewing, when in fact does that get added to that batch? So like your her your coriander or your herbs or your um, um, or your fruit or uh, I guess like before the beer is fermented. Right. Generally, I mean, I guess you could, it depends on what it is that you're putting in there, whether it's coffee. But, you know, like with this, with the, with the cog ale, we yep. do it sort of after the boil, after, you know, after you've put the, you know, the hops and everything in there and before, it, before you're letting it ferment. Yeah. It dep yeah. That sort of depends what's going in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not... <laughs> Actually, an expert on brewing, yeah, believe it or yeah. not. Yeah, so you sound good. <laughs> <I'm sure laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't. Yeah, need to give home brewing a bit more of a crack. <laughs> <laughs> I think. No, that's good. And, and what, um, another topic that would be pretty good to bring up is within the beer world. There's not a lot of um, women around or involved. Um, mm. and it probably definitely wasn't part of the drinking scene a generation ago, um, potentially. Although, if you're pregnant, you'd certainly down here a few stouts. Or if anything else, mm. you're only out of shandy. Um, <laughs> so just interested from your perspective, uh, being a woman and being sort of on the periphery of the of the beer scene, and how you how you find beer style and um, how you s how you see it and where we're travelling in regards to beer and beer drinking. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's true. That you know, a decade or so ago, you didn't have that many women drinking beer. Um, and it's, but I think it's every year it seems to, I, I think there's more and more women drinking beer. And if you go to, um, if you go to a beer festival like Beervana in Wellington, I don't know if you guys have been to that, but um, there's always, I feel like there's more and more women there every year and it feels like probably not fully even, um, but it's, you know, maybe 35% women, 65% um, men. And so, yeah, I think a lot of women have come into beer with the rise of craft beer. I think a lot of women weren't so interested before that. And I feel like, I don't know exactly why it is, there's various reasons, but one of the things I talk about in the book is kind of the marketing of mass market um, lager has been very much aimed at men. And those, you know, brewers of those mainstream kind of beers have never seemed very interested um, in, in women's money before, which is stupid because we're like half the population. But if you think back on those kind of old, you know, typical New Zealand beer ads, the Tui ads and the Spate Southern Man and stuff, like it's clear who they're aimed at and it's, it wasn't me. Mm. Um, you know, so maybe women have not felt so invited or interested, but, but with craft beer it's different, you know, like it's, there basically is not much marketing there's no budget for it but generally it's really about what's in the it's about what's in the bottle um and not 
what kind of person is going to drink the beer. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's you think you're yeah. drinking, uh, with, and we are too, you know, drinking more for less or drinking less for more? Um, how do you mean? Well, Sorry, you're not, like drinking, uh, not drinking quantities oh. of yeah. lager. You're drinking perhaps a pint or yeah. a couple of pints of more craft, more yeah. flavoursome Yeah, generally beverage. I think that's, yeah. In overall, I think like beer consumption overall is going down, has been going down for about the, you know, the last five years or so. But people are, but the craft sector is growing. And I think definitely, yeah, people are going out and drinking. I think a lot of the beers are stronger as well. As you mentioned, it's like a 7% beer and you you may go out and only have one of those um, as opposed to, yeah, like showing up at a party with a box of Tillies. Ten jugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's not, yeah. And what about these... um, um, we found a bit of this in the wine scene too, the, the sort of these lifestyle, we mentioned it earlier with the, the low alcohol, um, Easy Tiger Sauvignon, but these lifestyle beverages, particularly in the beer scene, aimed at um, the female drinker. Yeah. So that's, because as I was saying before, th- a lot of these beer marketers haven't been that interested at um, <laughs> marketing beer to women, but a few have had a crack and... It's been <laughs> quite funny to w- to watch. There's been a few breweries that have come out with special beers just for women. Um, like, finally, a beer that we can drink too. And, um, yeah, I talk a bit about this in the book, but there's there's been a few, and they all come out, and they're kind of all the same. They're, like, low-carb. Um, sometimes they're in, like, cute little small bottles so that uh, they won't be too heavy for us to hold. Yeah, Yeah. Um, they're often pink, like the beer will be pink or the label will be be pink. There was a beer called um, Chick Beer that came out a few years ago (laughs) and it was like the the six-pack looked like a handbag. (laughs) So bad. And all of these, I don't think any of the beer was good. Like they've all got, I haven't tasted any of those ones, but they've all got quite terrible ratings. Um, And unsurprisingly... They've been really unsuccessful. And um, I thought, like, all these came out sort of around 2011 for some reason, and I thought that we were done with um, chick beers. But funnily enough, one came out just a few weeks ago called Orosa, and I feel like I want to read you guys the the description (laughs) of this beer. (laughs) It's from Czechoslovakia, I think. Okay. Orosa is a representation of a woman's strength and a girl's tenderness. <laughs> the two contrasting tempers present in the female essence. What is a female essence? Are depicted through the elegant design yet strong, unfiltered taste. Orosa was born to prove that women can succeed anywhere without having to adapt and sacrifice their natural femininity. Anyway, it goes on. But people <laughs> have been like really taking the piss out of this beer, which is quite funny. Because they, they launched it with this hashtag, beer for her. And they're kind of saying, like, finally, this is a beer that women can drink. And so a whole lot of p- women on Twitter have been posting pictures of their double IPAs and stouts and whatever, and uh, with the hashtag her. beer for her, yeah, <laughs> which has been quite funny. And I think, yeah, the makers of this beer have been a bit shocked. And <laughs> I think they need to rethink their whole marketing plan. But Or throw it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, Alice, in your 12 months of the, the beer exile, you know, the 365 days. Mm. Um, would you prefer to now to be a sort of a geeky snob half drunk or perhaps remain ignorant 
sometimes ignorance is bliss. Mm. Well, it was really fun writing. It was great not knowing that much about beer, I have to say, when I was doing the blog, because it's like I looked back at the blog recently when I was researching the book, and I was like, wow, I was so enthusiastic about everything. And I, it's funny, when I read the, the blog now, I can kind of tell that some of the beers that I'm writing about are kind of a bit fucked. Like they were, they I could, I'm describing a lager and I'm like, wow, it's so weird that this lager is sour, but that's so interesting. And it's crazy how it keeps gushing out of the bottle when I open it. But, <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, that beer is infected, you know? But at the time I'm like, everyone should try this crazy <laughs> sour lager, you know? Or I, I drank a lot of American beers and I described them as kind of being really marmalady and toffee-ish often, and now I'm like, that beer was oxidised, like that beer's too old. And now I think if I drank all those beers, you know, I'd be quite critical of them. But at the time mm. I was so enthusiastic, which was really nice. And so in some ways, knowledge is great because it helps you to ap really appreciate what a brewer's done and when they have done a great job, but also ignorance is bliss. Um, and I think you said the same thing about wine. You said, like, the... The less you know, the better. Yeah. <laughs> yep. In a way, that's true. Yeah. So that's why I've tried to put like some information in this book, but but not too much. Not too much. Just enough. Yeah. Just enough but for the <laughs> snifter. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Um, <laughs> um, and I think we're almost up up for time. Yes. But finally, what I thought I'd ask you is, um, you've got a fridge at home, obviously. I hope. Mm, very small one. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's obviously no food in it then. Um, just some really smelly cheese at the oh moment. That's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. what, what's your go-to, so, you know, for a beer at the end of the day? What's, it, what's in your fridge currently? Um, it's the same. We're quite boring at home at the moment. Like, my, well, my boyfriend, who's over there, is, uh, designs lots of labels for Garage Project, um, who are very cool. And they, so they keep sending us beer, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with why I was attracted to him. Um, but we've, yeah, we've... <laughs> <laughs> we've <laughs> sorry, Tom. <laughs> That's not. Um, but yeah, so at the moment we've got lots of Garagista, which is an IPA that we both really enjoy. And uh, yeah, we both really like IPAs and stouts. So we drink lots of those. And I've been drinking lots of New Zealand Pilsners recently. There's so many good New Zealand Pilsners on the market. And that's kind of a style that's emerging as a very distinct New Zealand style, I think, probably our only distinct New Zealand style. So I'm excited about those, drinking lots of them. But I don't have a, at home a interesting cellar, which is, you know, it's quite shameful as a sort of beer geek. But my problem is that I just keep drinking things when I buy them, like keep planning to cellar things. I've got one, I've Typical. got a Garage Project um, bourbon barrel aged beer at the moment, which I've had for two months, which is really good. But I'm going to try and <laughs> hold out for a year. But yeah, actually, mo most of the the vast majority of beer that I drink is at pubs. I try and drink most of my beer from taps because it's fresher and tastes better. I think so. In a glass, yeah. 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 <laughs> not, not straight from, from the tap. Not often. No. no. no when I worked scales. at the brewery, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. But Thank you. So we'll, thank we'll, just you. we'll just open it up <laughs> to the floor. So if you've got any um, questions, um, yeah. fire away. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
No one would admit that they are, but I, but I bet you some of them are, yeah. Um, in terms of them being more kind of sessionable kind of beers, yeah, I guess, what is it, Tuatara and Innocent mm. and Panhead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're all quite successfully, quite successful with the mainstream. So, but then again, like, DB or Lion, I'm sure, would love to buy Garage Project out, you know, who brew all sorts of crazy beers. I'm sure that they're fielding calls from them constantly. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's I think it would be a hard thing for craft brewers because I don't think that any of them set out wanting to be bought out. But when the opportunity comes along and it's millions of dollars and it mm. gives them a whole lot of m more freedom um, to maybe do things with their brewery that they couldn't otherwise afford to do, you can see why it's you know, a really attractive offer. But I think it's hard because in some ways they get a bit shunned from the craft beer scene. Well, With a weird. well, I don't know if that's true actually, but there, there's to some, some people, some people really do, you know, there's like a bar in Wellington, Hashigozaki, who, you know, when Emerson's got bought out, they take them off the taps, you know, because they'll only have independent beer there. Um, but I think it's not something that I, I wouldn't stop buying a, you know, drink, drinking beer just because they've been bought out. I think those brewers have worked really hard and they've been successful. And it's, I think, something that people have been suspicious of in the past because, mm. I don't know, people were upset about it when it happened to Max. But I think now people have seen with Emerson's and Panhead and Tuatara that the beer is, isn't actually changing. The beer is still great. The brewers are still there. Um, as long as it doesn't happen to it's everyone, it's we It's just a business worry. decision and it's a step change in their horizon of their business so mm. they're entrepreneurial done really well for those first well Emerson probably 15 years 20 years mm. Panhead probably 5 or 6 so it probably allows them a bit, a bit of cash and allow them allows them still to play yeah. but, then, but for Panhead their main one the blue label whatever it is yeah. that's their bread and butter which Lion will sell well yeah yeah. Yeah, I think um, session beers are something that there's definitely been heaps more of in the last three or four years. Definitely, as you said, since the drink driving laws came in. Um, and I think that's great. Like, I'm having a. That's why Alice doesn't have a driver's license. Which? Is another one of my I do sections. have a driver's oh, license. Do you? Yeah, I got it about oh, sorry, three years ago. It's just a restrictor. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I worked at the AA for three years and didn't even have my learners, which was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I think it's great that there's lots of um, good session beer. I'm having the, the Renaissance Empathy is a really good session beer um, because you can have a few of them. That's it's It sucks when yes, you go out and you can only have one beer and then you need to go and lie down um you know it's you when you go to a pub and you want to spend a few hours having conversation with someone it's really important to have those session beers um yeah. available not just if you're driving yeah there's been a lot of session ipas uh, which have come out recently which are like big hoppy beers without the alcohol and the malt i'm not such a fan of those really but they're yeah i don't know i'm rambling now but no, yeah right. lots of good session beer out there yeah. Anyone else have a question? Yeah. Hi. The bigger a beer is, is the bigger, the big, bigger the, the, the 
Oh, yeah, no, it was always pretty easy, except for like that time that I was stranded on the Kapiti Island. Um, otherwise, it was always, it was always fine. Yeah, you could all, you know, you could always go to a bottle shop, and um, there would be some random little thing in a fridge that I hadn't yet done. I think if I had done it even three years earlier, would have been quite difficult. But at that time, 2011, craft beer had just kind of started to go like this. And, yeah, there were enough, as I say, I think there were about 60 breweries at that time. Um, and so even if there weren't enough beers in bottles, I could go to a pub and there'd be a one-off kind of thing on a tap or something. So, no, surprisingly, it was never difficult to find the beers. It was sometimes, sometimes I really didn't feel like a beer. Sometimes I had forgotten to have a beer and gone to bed and then had to <laughs> remember, like, while I was in bed, I already brushed my teeth, had to get up. <laughs> go and like sit 11 o'clock at night by myself at the kitchen table drinking a beer yeah there were some there were plenty of challenges associated with the blog but finding enough beer wasn't wasn't one of them luckily yeah <laughs> yeah oh thanks yeah yeah oh <laughs> 365 pubs I've drunk at in a year. <laughs> mm. I don't have a list of my top pubs in New Zealand, but I could... I mean, one which I only went to the first for the first time, um, last time I did one of these talks, was the Free House in Nelson. Yeah, you guys would have been there. That, I love that place. That was really, really cool, because it feels like a church for mm. beer, kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of there was lots of great beer on tap there. Um, really love the Musselin and Galbraiths, and uh, it's not a. Yeah, that place is great too. But it's been so long since I was there, and I heard that maybe it had changed. I'm not sure, but no good. It's such a nice pub as well. It's in a really nice setting. Yeah, in Motueka, this is the what's it called? The Upper Muturi. Yeah, which is where there's hop fields everywhere, and it's, yeah, very, very, very nice there. Um, so there's, all, most of my favourite pubs are not in the main centres, actually. Yeah. My favourite, kind of, probably one of my favourite bars is in Wellington, um, Golding's Free Dive, it's called yeah. there. Yeah, it's a cool kind of, like, dive bar, sort of, with, yeah, with heaps of good beer on tap. Yeah. Um, what's the best pub here? <laughs> what's that? Grovetown? Yeah. Oh, no one told me about that. Well, I'll have to go there tonight. Where is it? In Blenheim? You left to drive. Oh, that's, <laughs> you know, that is the problem. That's all right, we've got Tom. Oh, right. We've got my driver. Yes, true. <laughs> yeah. But that is the problem with here is you have to, you have to drive everywhere, don't you? Mm. Yeah. But so where is it? Grovetown. Is that a place? On the way to Picton, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> 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 okay. All right. Well, we'll, get your we'll see. Get your <laughs> okay. Well, it's good to know. Yeah, yeah. There's so many places I'm sure I don't even know about that mm. are great. I have to do like a bit of a beer tour because I've been doing some travel writing. I would like to find a way to combine the beer and the travel. Maybe that would be so that'd be a good next book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, it, I'd say New Zealand is kind of behind the states, probably about 10 years behind the states, although we're quickly kind of catching up now, but they have an amazing craft beer scene over there. But I th And I think New Zealand's craft beer scene is the next best after the states, which is a big call, but I f believe it's true. But Australia is also catching up really, really quickly. We've got to watch out. Mm. I was over there recently, and um, they have so many... So th the same thing is happening over there where there's just a huge explosion of breweries and the beer is getting better and better and more interesting. Um, there's a festival called Gabs, the greatest Australasian yep. beer spectacular, which has just started coming to Auckland for the last couple of years and they have lots of Australian beers there too. And all the best beers that I had at Gabs were Australian, which is a, a worry. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and sa same thing is happening in, in the UK. There's a kind of explosion of craft beer over there. All, ar all around the world. Uh, we, when I went to Mexico, uh, there's a craft beer scene over there. I've managed to find good craft beer pretty much everywhere yeah. except Kapiti Island. <laughs> I've traveled to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is, uh, yeah, it's very yeah. exciting. Mm. Cool. Any more oh from yeah. the floor? Oh, one more from Mickey. Oh no. Do, you, uh, do you think there's demand for it? Is it? Yeah. I'm still keen on the offal wog, but I'm not going to blame Tom here, but he doesn't eat offal. And so I feel like it may be hard to cook offal every night. Imagine um, getting out of bed at 11 <laughs> o'clock at night and but do you know what? eating your own offal <laughs> in the kitchen table. I, um, <laughs> I thought the cat, we can give it to the cat. But I did, I did get the domain name Offally Good, which I was quite, quite proud of. So, it's yeah, I do still plan to make use of that great domain name at some point. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Ross. All right. Oh, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't talk about food. I'm not a huge beer food matching expert, but honestly, I reckon, like, fish and chips and pilsner. There's just a good solid. Really, I mean, most beer goes well with fish and chips, but just something to cut through. N a nice greasy piece of fish and chips with a cold, kind of crisp, refreshing, something like a pilsner or a lager or, or a pale ale is nice. Very simple. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't get too much into the fancy beer and food matching. I t admittedly, I mostly drink wine with my food, which, you know, don't tell any of the other beer geeks Not that, a soul. But <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, but not fish and chips. And curry also, I love to have uh, love beer with, with hot curry. Ruby yeah. Murray. <laughs> oh, don't wade into it. It's just like, yeah, so what is craft beer? There's no real way to define it because you try and define it by size. There's always big craft breweries. You say, what about this one? Or, or whether or not it's independent, there are, you say, well, this one's not craft brewery. You know, is Panhead not craft beer it basically there's no way to define it and I think I just try to avoid even using the word because I know it's been useful to have that distinction between main you know mainstream lager and stuff and this new exciting thing that's happening but as we progress I think we don't so much need the term anymore we can just talk about good beer bad beer but you don't have craft wine and mainstream wine you know that that distinction isn't there and you can see why it is 
necessarily sort of mostly for measuring kind of the industry at the moment, but I think m most beer writers I notice are starting to drop that term craft beer and just talk about good beer. It's yeah. probably the larger players in the industries that actually try and define categories mm. and name them. Yeah, yeah, well I think everyone's kind of got their own definition of what they see as craft or a lot of for a lot of people it's just you know it you know it when you see it. Um yeah. Mm. But I just basically just don't even don't even bring it up generally unless you want to start an argument. <laughs> yeah. After a couple of points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's too hard. Well, I think we had one one more. So when you're sitting in your sofa mm. at, at either the sunny seaside Oh no, definitely, definitely not. Because well, for, for a starters, that would be too hard to even define what is a craft beer and what isn't a craft beer. But yeah, you generally get. Um, I haven't done heaps of beer judging, by the way. I've I've been judging the New World Beer Awards the last couple of years and done a bit of home brewing stuff, and I'm very much a learning. But yeah, you get the style, and if there's something that you have to know about it, like the brewers put something weird in it maybe you'll you'll get some notes about that and i think you will often get the alcohol but otherwise you can't have too much information because you're sitting there with a whole bunch of brewers and they will easily be able to pick what bears what yeah yeah mm. so yeah it's cool. interesting blind judging mm. it is. <laughs> we had do you know what came out as the top cider from the beer beer and cider awards there's a lot of good cider in new zealand at the moment and it was all blood giant, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> judge blind, and Scrumpy <laughs> came out <laughs> as the number one cider in New Zealand, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I think people are a bit mortified, but it you know, <laughs> judge blind is obviously the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, on yeah. that note, we'll um, we'll finish it there. Thank you very much for coming along. Thank you immensely, Alice, for Thank that. Thank you. That was for fun. That little um, <laughs> forty-five minutes. That. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd just like to thank the team at Spy Valley and also Scott from Renaissance who's provided the, the, the beers for the evening. Um, there's about 20, 25 minutes to chat to Alice and get some uh, books signed if you're that way inclined or if you've bought your own special bottle, she might even sign that. Oh. But, um, yeah. Body parts, anything. Yeah. Body parts, <laughs> yeah. Even if they're tattoos. So, yeah. but hey, thank you very, very much. And if you're going to any more of these, enjoy them for the rest of the weekend. Cool. Thank Cheers. you.